I'm originally from Alabama, just to give you a little bit of background, and uh, War Eagle. So I thought you throw out that roll tide. We got to make sure we got to make sure we get this right here. Okay, um, I think we just need to pray for somebody's salvation right now. I just want to tell you that, and uh, just remember, red's the color of sin. That's all I want to say. I'm just saying, I'm just saying, and um, just saying. <laughs> that was good though. Whoever said that? Who said that? Roll tide. Roll tide right there. Okay. You and my friend Steve can come to Jesus later on. So he's originally from Alabama, too. Um, so this kind of fits right in from where I'm coming from because, you know, I, I've been with people who've been saying all y'all, you know, like in, if it would have been the offering talk, all y'all need to give this morning, you know. And uh, they say things like, ain't God good? You know, it's a little different talk. And, but I had a different experience. We were down there a few weeks ago. I just want to tell you all about it. We were at Orange Beach, Alabama, and it's called the Redneck Riviera. If any of you have ever been there, true story, you need to go and enjoy one of, in my opinion, one of God's greatest gifts on earth is that beach there. And uh, I got to meet a true, real pirate this time. It was incredible. And I was just around a bunch of rednecks. I got to meet a pirate. And you see, there's this, this tourist trap thing that we've never taken, but it is a pirate ship that travels around, blows the canyon, cannons and everything. And I got to meet the guy that runs the boat and come to find out he's a real pirate. And I'd never met a pirate before, so I wanted to talk to him and see what it was all about. And he had a peg leg and a hook for a hand and a patch for an eye. I'm like, this is perfect. And I said, I need to ask you a question. I said, um, how did you happen to get uh, the need of a peg leg? I have to ask. And he goes, well, one day I was, I'm not even going to try to do a pirate, okay? I can do a redneck, but I can't do a pirate. He goes, I was sitting on the edge of the boat on a beautiful day, just relaxing, and a shark came out of the water, bit the bottom part of my leg off, and they sealed it up, and now I have a peg leg. And I said, oh, okay, that makes sense. And I felt brave enough to say, how do you have a hook for a hand? And he goes, well, uh, one day I got into a fight with another pirate over a woman, and our sword fight came out. We were beating each other around, and he said he got me, got the better end of the stick because he cut my hand off, and they sewed it up, and he said, now I have a hook for a hand. And I said, okay, that makes sense, but I want to know, how do you have a patch over your eye? And he goes, well, on another beautiful day, I was sitting on the deck of my boat, and I looked up, and he said, a seagull flew over and pooped in my eye. And, and I was like, I've never heard that causing your eye to go out. And he goes, well, it does if you have a hook for a hand. <laughs> Sorry. That's all I got, okay? That's, you know, we're, I might as well just walk away. But, you know, I, I'm originally from Alabama, and uh, be, when Christ called me into ministry, uh, I came to Manhattan Christian College back in 1981. And so I am now a Kansan, but have not left my roots of Alabama. I still love grits. Uh, I still love barbecue, so Kansas City is a great city to visit. I still love my Auburn Tigers, uh, War Eagle, and uh, it is awesome, though, that, uh, but now to realize that I'm a Kansan at heart because my dad was right, said I'd marry a cute little Kansas girl and spend the rest of my life there, and so far that's been true. And it's been an honor to be a part of the ministries in Oakley and Great Bend and now MCC, and, uh, to, be honor- and to be honest, I love coming back here. Because when I do, it very vividly reminds me of that board meeting. Because uh, two-thirds of the elders were saying, we can't do it. And one of the elders stood up and gave just the most impassioned plea that the church in Oakley has to do this. And so it is wonderful to be to see the fruit of what we decided so many years ago. And it's also a part, great to be a part of MCC. And y'all are ministry partners with us. We could not do what we do if it weren't for your support and all the churches and individuals that partner with us. We've had an exciting year. Uh, we've gotten both of our accreditations reaffirmed this year. ABHE came in the fall. We got 10 more years. Uh, HLC, Higher Learning Commission, came in the spring. That was our four-year review. We're good for six more years. So that's been busy. 
policy. And alongside that, we've been building a new activity center that will function as an athletic center as well as activities on our campus. It's a just over a $3.2 million project, and God's been faithful and provided all of that. And uh, we're just gracious that that'll be opening in September. So if you're in Manhattan on the 12th or 13th, be looking. We're going to have our ribbon cutting. We'd love to have any of you join us. So, uh, But we appreciate what you do in helping us fulfill our ministry. And, and as part of our ministry partners, uh, what I've done over the last few years when I've been able to go and preach in a church, I love sharing the theme that we've had on campus and sharing a sermon based on that theme because y'all are a part of us. You're a part of our ministry. You're a part of what we do. You're a part of our family and fulfilling our mission of educating, equipping, and enriching Christian leaders. So I've started sharing sermons based on that theme, and that's what I want to do this morning. And this last year, our student government officers picked the theme, Surrender. And it was an incredible theme to challenge us to think about surrendering all the different ways we have to surrender and all the different ways we individually have to surrender and the things that we need to lay down to be all that we can be for Christ. And, and it's been a challenge for us to think about for the year. And so I want to kind of close out, even though it's July 2nd, I want to close out last year by sharing the sermon with you on surrendering and thinking about what we need to do to surrender. And the, and the title is just simply Three Surrenders. And the passage I want to use is based in Acts chapter 9. It is the chapter that records Saul's conversion to Christ, which in my opinion is one of the most significant events recorded in the New Testament. It's significant because Paul was that first missionary who had it on his heart to take the gospel message outside, outside of Jerusalem and to take it into all the world. And in really, there's no event in the book of Acts that's given more attention. It was recorded three different times. Three different times throughout that book from Acts chapter 9 through the end of it. And I think it lets us know how significant it was. And I think it gives us a great passage to consider for the theme and the message on surrendering. Three surrenders. Join me in reading Acts chapter 9 verses 1 through 9 to start off. Now Saul was still breathing threats and murders against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and asked for letters from him to go to the synagogues of Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. And it came about that as he journeyed, he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But rise and enter the city, and it shall be told you what you must do. And the men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. And Saul got up from the ground, and threw, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus. And he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Note what Saul was doing. In those first few verses, it tells us he was persecuting Christians. And I think it's interesting, it puts in there the word still. He was still breathing threats as murders. It started a few chapters earlier when they killed Stephen and he gave his hearty approval to those who stoned Stephen. And that fire of what happened there when Stephen had preached that message against the Jews of his day, it was still burning in his gut. It burned in his gut so strongly that it led him to not only stamp out Christianity in Jerusalem, but he went beyond Jerusalem, having asked for the approval to bring any Christians from Damascus, belonging to the way, bound back to Jerusalem. That's how deep this fire against the church was burning in his gut. Listen to the message. It says it this way. 
All this time, Saul was breathing down the necks of the master's disciples out for the kill. He went to the chief priests and got arrest warrants to take to the meeting places in Damascus so that if he found anyone there belonging to the way, whether men or women, he could arrest them and bring them to Jerusalem. He was breathing down their necks out for the kill. That's how strong this fire was burning. He said about it himself in Philippians 3, as to zeal, he was a persecutor of the church. That was his heart. That was his mission. But notice in verses 3 through 7, the connecting point, Christ came to him. Christ came to him and reached out. Paul knew it was him, and that's why he was able to say in 1 Corinthians 15, 8, that the risen Christ had appeared to him. You see, it was an unbelievable connecting point for Paul. It was an unbelievable connecting point for him to be able to change his life drastically, to flip upside down, 180 degrees, opposite what he was doing, breathing threats and murders against anybody who had said they were a part of Christ, to becoming a disciple of his and sharing that gospel to the world. But note his response. He did what Jesus told him to do. He went to Damascus and waited. And while waiting, note his only activity was this. The only thing he did, he didn't eat or drink. The only thing he did was pray. The only thing he did was connect to the Lord. The only thing he did was make sure that he was connecting to God in the right way. It was a significant enough change, a significant enough variation from what he had been experiencing from persecuting the church. And this transition was the only thing he wanted to do was to connect to God further. He had to surrender. And it started from that first moment. He didn't eat. He didn't drink. He prayed. And it's a great challenge for every one of us. What we need to do on a daily basis is make sure we surrender our time to God. Make sure that we connect to Him because He desires to connect to us. It may mean getting up early, not hanging out with friends, not watching a movie, not streaming a show, not missing, and maybe even missing updates on Facebook for a few hours or a few minutes, whatever it takes, but it must be a priority for us to connect to God on a daily basis to be all that He wants us to be. And I want you to notice what happened as a result of Paul surrendering this way to Christ. When you read verses 17 through 22, listen to it. Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. And immediately there fell from his eyes something like scales, and he regained his sight, and he arose and was baptized, and he took food and was strengthened. Now for several days... He was with the disciples who were at Damascus, and immediately he began to proclaim Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He's the Son of God. And all those hearing him continued to be amazed and were saying, Is this not he who in Jerusalem destroyed those who called on this name and who had come here for the purpose of bringing them bound before the chief priests? But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived at Damascus by proving that this Jesus was the Christ. I love the transformation. Because not only did scales fall from his eyes and he regained his sight, I think through the whole process of the three days that he couldn't see, not only did the scales that were on his eyes eventually fall off, I believe they fell from the eyes of his heart also. 
I believe the scales that were on his heart that had been built up through all of his Jewish training, through all the training in the world that he had had throughout his whole life, his zeal for that began to fall away as he saw Christ and what he had sacrificed for all of us. In fact, anything he says in Philippians 3 that was gained to him in his life before he came to Christ, his confidence in this flesh, his blameless law-keeping righteousness, all fell away for the sake of knowing Christ and him being crucified. His surrender to Christ led him from being a persecutor to being a preacher. A preacher who we are the fruit of today that he took the gospel from Jerusalem to the world. That's how deep his surrender went. That's how full it reached. And if you want to know how deep of a surrender it was, listen to what he wrote about himself in Philippians chapter 1, verses 19 through 22. For I know that this shall turn out for my deliverance. This he's talking about. He was in prison thinking he was close to death. This will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and hope that I shall not be put to shame in anything, but that with all boldness, Christ shall even now as always be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for me to live as Christ and to die is gain. But if I am to live on in the flesh, this will mean fruitful labor for me. And I don't know which to choose. You see, he was even willing to say, he had so far surrendered his life that he was even willing to say, it didn't matter to him if he lived or died. If he lived, he was going to serve Christ. If he died, he was going to be in heaven with him. It didn't matter. Either way, he was going to win. That's how deep his surrender went. And it's a transition that all of us need to consider, a decision that all of us need to factor in. I don't know where you are. You know, when I go to churches, I love going to churches and meeting more people and connecting with more people. But the disconnect that I feel over the years I've been at the college, I don't know where you are spiritually. The majority of you in the room, but this I know, if you don't know Christ, the first thing you need to consider this morning from a surrender perspective is giving your life to Him wholeheartedly. It's the greatest decision any of us have to make. It's the most important decision any of us have to make in our surrender. You need to give it to Him. Now let's move on to the second surrender. It's an interesting surrender from Ananias following up in verse 10. Listen to this passage. Now there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, and the Lord said to him in a vision, Ananias? And he said, Behold, hear my Lord. And the Lord said to him, Arise and go to the street called Straight, and inquire at the house of Judas for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for behold, he is praying. And he has seen in a vision a man named Ananias come in and lay his hands on him so that he might regain his sight. But Ananias answered, Lord, I've heard from many about this man. How much harm he did to thy saints at Jerusalem. Here he has authority from the chief priest to bind all who call upon his name, on thy name. But the Lord said to him, Go, for he is a chosen instrument of mine, to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. And Ananias departed and entered the house, and after laying his hands on him, said... As I've already read, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road by which you were coming has sent me so that you may regain your sight and be filled with the Holy Spirit. The second surrender this morning I want to talk about is Ananias. It's interesting to me. Note the connecting point. Just like Saul, Jesus came to Ananias. Jesus appeared to Ananias in a vision, and he came because he had a job for Ananias to do. And I love Ananias because I think he ref- we could relate to him more than some of the other characters because he had a, he- a hesitancy. 
He had a reluctance. He was sitting there saying, wait a minute, I know about this guy. He's breathing threats and murders. He's no good. And you're telling me to go and talk to him. You're telling me and go to share the gospel with him. He could see the way this was going to end up. He was going to be bound and taken by, the, by him to the chief priest in Jerusalem. And most likely could end in his own death. I can relate to that reluctance. Sometimes God asks us to do something that isn't the most fun, isn't the easiest, the most exciting, the best paying. And if we went back through Scripture, I think we would be able to say Moses can relate. Remember at the burning bush, there was some reluctance. Jonah can relate. Remember when he was said to go to Nineveh? He has reluctant and even ran. Ananias can relate. I don't know about you, but um, I can relate. I can relate to having those moments that, you know, we hear the announcements on a Sunday morning and here's some opportunities. Here's what you can do to serve. And you can think of a million reasons why you might not be able to. Or, or am I the only one who does that every now and then? I'm busy. I already have so many things to do. That's my only evening. That's my only week. And I don't have all this time. And what am I going to be able to do? And we have a reluctance and we give all the reasons. And most of the reasons have never had anything to do with the person that God is sending us to may kill us. But we're still reluctant. Sometimes we feel God's tug at our heart to do something in ministry, but we're reluctant. Too often we're unwilling to go all the way. We quit, we quit when it gets tough. We have a little taste of it. We head on down the road. One of the reasons I love serving at a place like Manhattan Christian College is I get the privilege of really being in the best of both worlds. I get to see the future with our current students, and we have some incredible students I get to spend time with. But I also get to see the present and what's happening when the alums who serve at the campus uh, from, the, from MCC come to a place like the North American Christian Convention or even drop by our campus. And one of the most encouraging for me this year was I was blessed by a drop-by visitor early in the fall, and it was one of our alumni, Megan Smith. Megan's an alum who is a single young lady who is serving on a team in Ethiopia translating God's word for the people there so that they'll have a translation in their own language, and she loves it. But as she was there, I was like, Megan, I'm, I'm kind of surprised to see you. You were just back a year ago, but you're, you're back already so early. And he goes, she said, well, to be honest, a few months back, I contracted a disease similar to the Lyme disease. And my health got so poor, got so bad, I had to fly home so that I could get healthy here. And the doctors are even saying, I'm a few months away. And I said, what are you going to do at the end of those few months? I could immediately see her being able to say, this illness was so bad, the country I'm going to go live in is where I caught that illness. Although I've taken all the medications I can that they recommend, I still caught that illness. And it could have resulted in the end of her life. And I said, so what are you doing? And she said, well, and my plan is in two months, I'm going back to Ethiopia. Because I want to serve Christ and keep giving and fulfilling the vision that she's laid upon my heart. She wasn't reluctant at all. With a smile, she said she can't wait to go back. She spends time in Addis Ababa and then goes out into the villages and learns to translate the word and connect with people and those who help her translate word by word and figuring it out. And she's committed and has surrendered to God's will with no reluctance at all. It's a challenge. I, I often reflect back on the, the man who challenged me to come to MCC, and it was Dr. Bill Lowne. He was the president of MCC at the time, and he'd be in ministry class teaching us my first year. And in the middle of class, he'd stop and say, Men, if there's anything else that you would rather be doing, I encourage you to walk out of the classroom right now and go do it. If there's anything else other than ministry that you'd rather be focused on with your life, I encourage you to move on because ministry's tough business. 
But he said, I believe it's the most honorable profession in the world, and I encourage you to stay. I'll never forget that. You know how many times I've thought through those words because of how hard it is. And that's whether you're in paid ministry or volunteer ministry. It's tough, isn't it? But Ananias surrendered, even though it could have cost him his life, to the call of God. And it's a challenge for every one of us. Notice the Lord's response to his hesitancy. I love it. Verse 15 and 16. To me, it's so challenging. I love it. But the Lord said to him, go. He didn't say understand. He didn't say, I know, maybe prepare a little bit. He said, go. Paul is a chosen instrument of mine to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the sons of Israel. For I will show him how much he must suffer for my name's sake. Doesn't go like Ananias got reluctant and Jesus relented. He didn't back off. He didn't relent us from his call. And here's something I want you to understand. God doesn't call us to something he won't help us finish. God will not call us to something that he will not help us accomplish. And he knows that. That's why he still says, I want you to go. He even reminded Ananias that not only was he calling Saul, but that he was calling Saul to a difficult time. I'm going to show him what he's going to suffer for my name's sake. He knew the big picture. He knew that it was still a time to call Saul. He knew Saul's surrender was going to end up in being in tough times. So I want you to understand this. When we think about being reluctant, Jesus knows it gets stuff, but he still calls. He knows it gets hard, but he still calls. And I love Ananias' response. He departed to go where Saul was. He denied himself and went. He laid aside his his worries so that he could be all in for Christ. He knew he had to surrender. And what was the result of that? Again, same passage, Acts 9, 19 through 22, the gospel was being furthered. And I think we have to understand that if God calls us to something, even if it's a hard challenge, if we're doing it for Christ, it is worth it because of the fruit that comes from it. We can't say we need to walk away. It's a challenging story no matter where we are or who we are. If we're outside of a relationship to Christ, the surrender that he asks us to is he calls to come. He looked at Paul and said, come. He wanted him to come to salvation. If we're in a relationship to Christ, here's the call he makes to us this morning that we have to surrender to. He says, go. He wants us to go for service to his kingdom. It doesn't matter who we are this morning. This passage has a message for every one of us. If we need a walk with Christ, he says, come. If we're in a walk with Christ, he says, go. So there's the challenge this morning for surrender. Our need is to surrender. Just as the the Lord's prayer challenges us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's the surrender. But if you're still awake this morning, you you would probably and maybe be remembering that my title said there's three surrenders and I've only covered two. Here's the third. If it wasn't for Christ's surrender, none of our responses would be possible. If it wasn't for what Christ had done for us, Saul's call to come would not even be possible. Ananias' call to go would not even be important. What transformed Paul was his encounter with Jesus that led him to surrender his life to him. What transformed Ananias was his encounter with Jesus that led him to surrender his life and service to him. And what made those transformations possible was Jesus' own surrender to his heavenly Father. 
You see, we have to understand Jesus was the first one to surrender, and his surrender made all of ours possible. He was the first one to deny himself. He was the first one to serve. He was the first one to love. And he was even the first one to hesitate on fulfilling God's plan for his life. Because when he was in the Garden of Gethsemane praying the night before his crucifixion, what did he pray? If it's all possible, Father, let this cup pass from me. But then he knew he needed to surrender and said, not my will, though, but yours be done. You see, that's the surrender. It makes it all possible. He emptied himself for you and for me. He emptied himself and took on the form of a servant. Listen to Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself. I love a translation I read recently. It said, he uh, became a man of no reputation. Took the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. You see, that's why it's all possible. That's why our surrenders have meaning is because he surrendered. And then it says, also God highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. You see, he surrendered it all for us. And it's what we need to do for him. That's why my life verse that I try to live up to, and I know I fail doing it a lot of days, it's Galatians 2.20. For I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and delivered himself up for me. That's where we all ought to be. There are three surrenders in this passage. The one from Christ makes ours possible. If we need a relationship with him, he says, come, lay aside yourself, lay aside yourself and come have a saving relationship with me. If you're in a saving relationship with him, he says, go, because I've chosen us all to be servants of mine. You see, I think it's interesting, but I think the problem is most of us devote a little of ourselves to everything, which means we commit a great deal of ourselves to nothing. That's why the challenge is here to surrender this morning. And if I could close with anything, I was just reminded this morning and even going to change the story that I had in here to close with. Um, just uh, two days ago, a year ago, two days ago was the year anniversary of um, my dad passing away and us and me performing his ceremony for his funeral. And it was one of the greatest honors in my life of being able to, to share at his funeral and to be the pastor leading his funeral. But it dawned on me as my mother yesterday was my birthday, and so you're hitting a lot of personal story here, so I'm sorry. I'm, I'm done with pirate jokes, so maybe that'll encourage you, okay? Um, my mother posted on uh, Facebook something that I had forgotten. It's not that I'd forgotten it. I just hadn't thought about it in a while. But it was 25 years ago when I had the privilege as a pastor of participating in my dad's ordination into ministry. And the reason was, at 52 years old, my dad just had a burning in his heart. And what he realized was that burning had been happening since he was a young man in his teens. And he was a food broker, and uh, 
He sold wholesale as well as retail. And uh, the last year that my dad was in business selling groceries, sold $18 million in groceries. He had been in, and that was in the early 90s, so I would love to know what that would equate to today. He traveled all over the world winning incentive trips. He went to 18 Super Bowls. He got to play golf in some of the most incredible resorts around the world, Hawaii, Puerto Rico, you name it. My dad got to go, and it was all because he was a great salesman. In fact, he told me one day, he said, uh, you know, son, I had a great day today. And I said, why? And he goes, I sold three truckloads of green beans to a guy who didn't need them. He goes, that was a great day. I was like, man, you must be a good salesman. But he had a burning in his heart. There's some things at his company that weren't going so well, and he just used that as an impetus to step away from food brokerage. And for a year, he prayed about what God would have him in mind to do, and he started selling triple-A automobile insurance and just doing whatever he could to produce a little bit of income. But at the end of that year, uh, my dad went into ministry at my home church. And it started by him being a church member who would just show up at the church in the morning, had a tie on and said to my home pastor, hey, I'm not working today. What can I do for you? And one day my dad made 17 hospital calls. And he just started calling on people and loving on people. And the minister was going out of town in a few weeks. And they said, hey, Paul, why don't you preach? And uh, so my dad, at 52 years old, was ordained into the ministry of Jesus Christ. And he admitted that day that call had been on his life since he was in his late teens. But he got married to my mom, and in two and a half years, they had three children. And he said, I just really couldn't afford to make that step at that time. Never went to college. He was a self-made man, one of those guys who just worked his way up, was vice president of the company and $18 million in groceries. And he walked away from it and took a pay cut that was tremendous. He was making about 25% of what he made when he was selling groceries when he went into ministry. But a month before my dad passed away last year, he was still in the pulpit at 77 years old preaching. Why? Because he surrendered. He walked away from it all. As a young child, he had answered the call to come. And at 52 years old, he finally answered the call to go. And he surrendered his life to Christ and... From 52 to 77, he was faithful to the call that God had given him to ministry, baptized hundreds of people, did hundreds of weddings and hundreds of funerals. And, and if, you, if he was still around today, he would tell you it was the best decision of his life when he surrendered his all and all the talent and ability that God had given him to Christ. So this morning, my challenge is surrender. If you've never, ever made a personal walk with Christ important in your life, God calls you today to come. It's the most important step you'll ever take. And if you have and you're wrestling with what he might have you do, if you've been coming to this church and you've been consuming what's been going on and it's been great, but you've never gotten involved serving, I want to tell you God wants you to go. He wants you to go and serve children. He wants you to go and serve adults. He wants you to go and serve the community. He may even want you to go to another part of the world. I don't know, on a short-term trip. You don't have to walk away from everything like my dad did. You can just walk away for a few days and make sure you give your life to Christ in service. And just like Saul and Ananias, people will come to Christ because of it. And all of it is possible because of the surrender of Jesus Christ. Let me read this verse in closing. It's so important and so powerful. And in modern day America, we need to hear it every day. For who wishes, whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. 
It's on the screen. Let's say it together. For whoever wishes to save his life shall lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake shall find it. Love Kevin's heart, as you can see. And, um, and you know I love you. And my hope and prayer for all of us is that we can just learn to surrender because that is what it's all about. Um, started with problems with that in the garden and uh, the rest of life and maturity. The spiritual life is learning to surrender. And I want to invite you to stand with me. We're going to close in prayer. And part of this is just kind of invite you just to put your hands out like this. It's just a symbol of surrender is really what it is. And uh, maybe this morning as I pray, some of you just need to surrender yourselves to God. Maybe you need to, maybe you haven't surrendered yourself in, in Christian baptism as the Bible teaches. It's, it's a picture of surrender. It's where you're surrendering your body, you know, allowing someone to put you under the water and then raise you up. It's a, it's a picture of dying to self and surrender. Uh, so maybe you need to do that because you've never done that. But uh, we're going to pray for uh, all of us have hearts that are surrendered, and pray for uh, Kevin and Manhattan Christian College that they'll continue to raise up men and women uh, who can spread this good news around the world, all right? Let's bow our heads, and we'll be dismissed afterwards. Heavenly Father, thank you so much um, that you have modeled uh, this surrender you've called us to, uh, unlike many in authority, uh, most in authority, who pass out edicts that they want people to, to obey. Uh, you have modeled what you've asked for. Uh, you've modeled it. You've asked for it. Uh, there will come a day when you will expect it, but now you're asking for it. And, Father, we just humble ourselves before you, and we, we surrender. We just acknowledge that you're God. We're not. We need more of you in our lives, in our families, in our church, in our nation, in this world. Would you help us, God? Would you help us not just to come to you, but to go to those around us to communicate to them your love, your calling to them. We pray, Father, uh, as well for the uh, Manhattan Christian College. We pray for Kevin and his leadership. We pray for the, the teacher, the professors, the administration, all the people, the, the board of trustees. We pray for the new pr- uh, construction project that's underway. And, and we pray for the students uh, that are there now and will come in the years to come. We pray, God, that you'll empower them, that you'll allow their ministry influence to go all around the world. We pray for, uh, for increased resources, for expanded vision, for uh, the empowerment of your Holy Spirit, that they might do above and beyond anything they could ever ask or imagine because of your power, because of your presence, and because of their surrender. God, would you help us all, and we'll give you credit for the good that results. Now, may your blessing rest on all of us as we head out of this place. May you help us to live surrendered lives this week. Uh, May we represent you well. Uh, May we be a blessing to all we come in contact with for, for Christ's kingdom's sake. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful, precious name. Amen.